You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. What we believe determines how we behave. Whether you know it or not, you do things in your life because of a certain set of beliefs. For example, you came to church today and gathered with God's people because somewhere along the way, either you read in the word or someone told you it was important to gather with God's people. So your belief that it's important to be with God's people and to be under the word and sing together and fellowship with each other, your belief determined this morning how you behaved. You got up, you got ready, and you came to church. As we begin a new sermon series today, I wanted to remind us as a church family why we choose to go verse by verse or chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. There's a reason, there's a belief behind that behavior. We don't just read books on church or watch other churches and say, hey, that looks like that works, so we're going to try that out and see if that'll work here. No, we do things intentionally, and by God's grace, we do them based off what we believe. So at Antioch, we have a group of statement of uh, what we call a statement of faith or what we believe. And one of the statements of faith that we have is about the Bible. And here's what we say about the Bible. This belief determines how we behave. This belief determines why we're going to start this new sermon series today through the book of Matthew. We believe that the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, so there's 66 books in the Bible, 39 are in the Old Testament, 27 are in the New Testament. Old covenant, new covenant, the idea there. So we believe that 66 books of the Old and New Testaments as originally written were God breathed both verbally and in every part. We get this from 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 that God breathed all scripture, right? So he breathed and how did he do that? We believe God, who is truth, communicated through spirit-controlled men so that the scriptures are without error and therefore authoritative in all they teach and in all matters matters they touch. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 through 21 points us to this idea that God spoke to men and they were moved along like you would look at a sailboat that you can't really see see what's happening, but you know the wind is blowing it and moving it along. So God spoke to men, that's where we get the word, and he carried them along as they were writing scripture for us. And that scripture that they wrote is without error, and therefore it's authoritative in all that the word teaches and in all matters it touches. Here's the importance of that statement. At Antioch, We as a church family submit ourselves to the authority of God's word, 
right? We don't submit ourselves to Steve's authority, Bob's authority, Todd's authority, Clint's authority, to the deacon board authority. We submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. So everything we do at Antioch comes under the authority of God's word. What does his word have to say for us? And we follow his authority in our lives. Then this last statement is what leads us to this idea of why do we go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. Because we believe the Bible is the supreme revelation of God's will for men. So as we think about what do you as a church family, what do we need to hear? You don't need to hear Steve's will for your life, right? You don't need to hear Bob's will for your life. You don't need to hear your Antioch group leader's will for your life. Whose will do we need to know? We need to know God's will, and we believe the Bible is the supreme revelation of his will. So here's the idea. We don't pray for God to give us a word from him. He's given us a word from him. It's called 66 books that we refer to as the Bible. This is the word of God for us. So when we want a word from God, we open our Bibles and we read them and we know that's God's will for our lives. So we don't base it on feelings. We don't base it on experience. We base our lives on the word of God, that this is God's will. It is the supreme revelation. There's a lot of celebrity pastors out there that write good books and I'm great with those books, but that's not God's word, right? We submit ourselves to God's word. This is where we find God's will for our life. And then we say, not only is it the supreme revelation of God's will, but it constitutes the only infallible guide for faith and life. This word infallible means incapable of making mistakes or being wrong. Here's the point of that. You're never going to follow God's word and come to the end and be like, well, that was a wrong decision. That's what it means by infallible guide for faith and life. That when you follow God's word, it's always going to lead you to the right view of God. That's faith. And it's going to lead you to the right way to live your life. That's life. And so as one of your pastors, and as we think about, we get 52 Sundays together a year. What is going to be the thing that's going to guide our time together? What's going to lead us to the supreme revelation of God's will and constitute the only infallible guide to faith and life? The Bible. So we don't just go verse by verse and book by and chapter by chapter through books of the Bible because we think it's a clever way to draw you in and get you to come to church on Sunday. No, we go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through books of the Bible because we believe that God's will is found right here and that we as God's people should submit ourselves to the authority of God in our lives through his word. And someday I will stand before God and give an account of what I taught you. And I want to stand with a clear conscience and say, I pointed him, Lord, to the only infallible guide for faith in life. That the only thing that I said, this is the thing that we raise up is God's word. And so we're going to be beginning a series today. And because we believe this, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. So, 
we're going to start working through the book of Matthew together. Matthew consists of 28 chapters and 1,071 verses. It is found in a section of scripture known as the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hey, Charlie, can you get me a glass of water? Please, thanks, man. Um, The Gospels consist of four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These Gospels are eyewitness accounts of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So there's four what they refer to as Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're all eyewitness accounts of Jesus' birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection. Here's some things to note about these gospels. The first thing to note about these gospels, thanks Charlie, appreciate you. Uh, The first thing to note about these gospels is that they're not letters. So a lot of the Bible uh, or a lot of the New Testament in particular is written in letters. So think about the apostle Paul. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you have Acts, which is the early church. Then after that, you have a book called Romans. Romans is written to the church at Rome, right? It's written a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people. First and second Corinthians, who is it written to? The church at Corinth. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth and it goes on and on. Galatians, Ephesians, that's how those books are named is they're named after a letter that he wrote to a church. But then you also have letters that he wrote to individuals, Timothy, Titus, those kinds of of letters as well. So we have to understand that these gospels are not letters, rather they're really documentaries that are presenting the life of Jesus. So if you're like me and you like a good documentary, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are documentaries of the life of Jesus. They're different eyewitness accounts of this life of Jesus. So they're not letters. They're really more like documentaries presenting the life of Jesus. They're not complete biographies of Jesus' life. So they're all that we need to know, right? Because God inspired men to write these. It's all we need to know, but we also need to know this is not the complete life of Jesus, right? Because we know this from John chapter 21, as John's finishing his gospel, listen to what he says. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So John says, although we've written a lot about the life of Jesus, you can't really get all the life of Jesus into books, right? There'd be not enough pages for that to happen. So it's not a complete biographical sketch of the life of Jesus. Also, it's good to note that they're not chronological history. My idea with that is that they're not necessarily, if you lined up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John next to each other, and you see the different miracles and the different stories that are told about Jesus, they don't all line up at the same spot, right? So it's not necessarily a a chronological history and that they all line up together. And why is that the case? Well, that's the case because each gospel has a different writer, and a different focus. And the focus of the gospel comes from the Old Testament. 
So in the Old Testament, the first 39 books that begin in Genesis and end in Malachi, the, those 40 or 39 books, God has been promising to the believers a Messiah who would come as their prophet, priest, and king, and he would be anointed by God to lead the people. So the Old Testament believers were looking for this Messiah who would come that God would set up to lead his, his people. And so the focus is different. So as we're looking at each one of the authors and some skeptics will come in and say, well, look, this doesn't line up. Well, it doesn't line up because the focus of each one of the gospels is, is different. And so they're using the stories and the miracles that Jesus did in different spots to show who he is and fulfill the theme or the point to who, who Jesus is as the Messiah. So if you go to the Old Testament, I'm gonna take you to a few passages this morning. You can turn there with me or write them down. But you find this prophecy about a Messiah, an anointed one, a king who would come that God was saying he's gonna set up this person to be the one that will lead his people. So Zechariah chapter nine and verse nine, listen to what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king, that's a key term, is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Zechariah prophesies through God and says, there's going to be a king that is going to come. He's going to be riding on a donkey. This is the king. This is the Messiah that I have promised. Isaiah chapter 42 in verse 1, it says this, Behold, my servant, that's the key term there, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So Isaiah says he's going to be a, a, a servant. Behold, my servant. Zechariah said he was going to be a king. Isaiah says he's going to be a servant prophesying through God. If you go to Isaiah chapter 7, in verse 14, this verse will sound familiar to you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So Isaiah, again prophesying about this coming Messiah, says that he's going to be a man, that he's going to come from the virgin, and he will be a man. So you have king, you have a servant, you have a man. And then you go to Isaiah chapter nine and verse six. And he says this about this Messiah. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah says he's going to be a God as well, a mighty God. So you see in the Old Testament, he's been prophesied as a, as a king. He's been prophesied as a servant. He's been prophesied as a man. He's been prophesied as a God. And so the Old Testament believers are watching and looking for this Messiah to come. And then you have in the New Testament, as we step after these 400 years of silence, we step into the New Testament and you have the, these gospels basically being like uh, uh, a lighting uh, sign 
signposts or, or lighted signs that are pointing to Jesus saying, he is the promised Messiah. So the one that you've been watching for, the gospels are just bright lights shining and saying, Jesus, this is, this is who it is. This is the Messiah. So when you study the book of John, here's what you find. John presents Jesus as God. The theme of John is Jesus is God. How do we know that? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And all the book of John is John unpacking for us the fact that Jesus is God. So it's pointing to the sign. You remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah 9, 6, that he would be a mighty God. Jesus, like Jesus, he is the fulfillment of that. He is the Messiah that's come. John points, that's why when somebody is seeking out who Jesus is, or somebody's a new believer, will often say, hey, go read the book of John. Why? Because Jesus just, was, just wasn't a good teacher. He wasn't a good prophet. Jesus is God. And John helps a person see that Jesus is God. Then you come to the gospel of Luke. And the gospel of Luke presents Jesus as the son of man. So when he's prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14, and this is why Luke spends so much time. Why do we at Christmas time always quote Luke chapter two? Because Luke, it's important to see that Jesus is man. And so that's why so much of the birth story is accounted in Luke's gospel. And it's why the key verse in Luke is Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke presents Jesus as the son of man, that Jesus is man. And then you come to Mark gospel. And Mark's gospel is the, the shortest of all the gospels. So if you like a short documentary, the gospel of Mark is the one for you to read. It's, it's fast paced. The key word in the book of Mark is immediately, 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 immediately. As you read through it, you see it over and over again because Mark's like, let's get to the next story. Let's get to the next story. We're trying to get to the cross and the resurrection. Let's go, let's go, let's go, right? It's the shortest, but Mark presents Jesus as a suffering servant. So he's looking back to Isaiah 42 and verse one, when God says, behold my servant. And so Mark says, Jesus is servant. What is the key verse of Mark? Mark 10, 45. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life a ransom for many. So as you read through the book of Mark, you see it over and over again. Jesus is the servant that you've been watching for. So what is the book of Matthew? Well, we're left with one option there, right? And the one option is Jesus is king. In Zechariah 9.9, when he prophesied that there would be a Messiah who would come he is prophesying that he would be a king and Matthew helps us see that Jesus is king. Look at me, I'll just give you one example today. Matthew chapter one and verse one. So pull out your phone, get your Bible out, look at Matthew chapter one and verse one. It says this, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. So Matthew, right out of the gate, identifies Jesus 
as the coming Messiah. So if you look, he says, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not Jesus' first and last name, all right? Jesus is his name, that's his proper name. Christ is a title. And what is Christ mean? Messiah. So right when Matthew starts his letter with this book of genealogies, and he says it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he's saying to his audience, Jesus is king. This Messiah that we've been waiting for is here. Zechariah 9.9, right? The king is here. The king is coming and he has arrived. That is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. But he goes a little bit farther and he says this. Then he says, the book of genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now, who's David? We know David to be the king of Israel, right? And we've been studying through the Psalms during the summer and we talk a lot about David and how even the Psalms are this idea of a king and his kingdom. And so David is this king that God sets up after Saul fails and God makes a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16 and he says, and David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so when Matthew says Jesus Christ, he's pointing the Messiah, and then he says the son of David, he's taking his audience back to 2 Samuel and saying, remember the promise that God made to David that his kingdom would be forever? Here's the king. Right? We've watched all the other descendants of David die off, but Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one that you've been looking for. Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews. But he doesn't stop with the son of David. He goes on and says, the son of Abraham. Why? Because God had also made a promise to Abraham that he said, through your seed, I'm going to bless all of the nations. So here's what he's doing in this first verse. He's saying, Jesus is the Messiah, this king that we've been waiting for. He's the son of David. And, and we'll talk about this next week through the genealogies. You'll see this, but he's also the son of Abraham. So he's not just the king of the Jews. He's also the king of the Gentiles through Abraham. Because through his seed, all the nations will be blessed. So right from the get-go, we see the theme that Jesus is the king. So what is the theme of the book of Matthew? Jesus is king. All right, so as we work through it together, we have that lens on. And, and here's what I, 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 I can almost guarantee you that in every chapter, we're going to see a reference to this idea that Jesus is king or his kingdom or something to that end. It's gonna keep coming up because Matthew's wanting to get the point across that your Messiah, your king is here. Who wrote the book of Matthew then? Now, we may laugh and say, ha ha, Matthew wrote the book, right? His name is in the title. I'm sure Mark wrote the book of Mark and John wrote the book of John and Luke wrote the book of Luke. Well, correct, that is true. Their name is at the heading of the book. That's how we identify it. But if you have studied the book of Matthew, what you know is that there's no reference in the book of Matthew that would let us know that Matthew's the author of the book. So how do we know then that he's the author of the book? 
Do we just make this up, right? Is it just a bunch of guys got in a room, turned on a smoke machine, and boom, Matthew was the guy that came to mind. No, here's the deal. If you go back and all the way back to A.D. 135 and A.D. 175, all right? That's a long time ago. So you go way back after Christ, A.D. 135, A.D. 175, we have two church fathers that noted, and I'm not going to give you their names, but we have two church fathers. If you want them, you can see me afterwards because I can't pronounce them very well and I don't want to butcher their names. They wrote down that Matthew was the author. And if you study early church history, you find that the church all agreed. There was really no dissension about the fact that Jesus, or that Jesus, that Matthew was the author of this book. So again, there's, I can't take you to a verse in Matthew that says, here's how I know that Matthew wrote the book. But I could take you to church history and say the early church fathers, they all believed that Matthew was the author of the book of Matthew. Now, who, who is Matthew then? Well, we're introduced to Matthew in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. So, interesting, Matthew would write a documentary but not say anything much about himself. And truly, we, we don't know much about Matthew because there wasn't much recorded about him. But here we're introduced to him. So let me introduce you to the author of this book. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Just FYI, if you read Mark and Luke, Matthew's referred to as Levi. So he had a couple of names, Matthew, Levi. There's a reason for that. And I didn't write it in my notes. I can't remember. So I can look that up and tell you later what it is. So he passed through. He called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but call sinners. So this is our introduction to Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. Now, we know in Bible times, Matthew, tax collectors were not really high up on people's love, you know, lists. Like, tax collectors were at the bottom of people's love lists. Why? Because they were extortioners. They would take things. They would take what tax the Romans had, and they would add to that tax so that they could make money. They were paying each other off. There was a lot of, of underhanded stuff going on. So tax collectors were not really highly looked on people. This is the author of the book of Matthew. Jesus goes by and says, come follow me. And Matthew follows him and invites his friends over to his house and they meet Jesus. And Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. This is the guy that is writing the book of Matthew. Isn't that encouraging? That God didn't choose perfect people to write the Bible? That God would choose a guy like Matthew, who even in his culture, he was looked down on, he was looked as a swindler, and yet God still used him to record the life of Jesus for us. 
What is the outline then? So we know the theme, we know who wrote it. What is the outline then of the book of Matthew? As I mentioned, there's 28 chapters, 1,071 verses. So you can imagine the outline for Matthew is pretty long. One of the commentaries that I'm using is by a guy by the name of D.A. Carson in this study. And, and I went out and, I, and it's on my Logos software that I use and it doesn't really have page numbers. So what I did is I copied the outline and I went to a Word document and I pasted it into the Word document. And when it finished downloading, it ended up being nine pages long. So buckle up, here we go, nine page, no, I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that to you. But, but you understand, there's a lot going on in the book of Matthew. Like if you have a study Bible, one of my favorites is the ESV study Bible, and you go look at each, at the beginning of the book of Matthew and who wrote it, all that stuff, it gives you an outline. It's like two pages in there, right? And they're really condensing that down. So I'm not going to bore you with nine pages of an outline, but what is neat about the book of Matthew is there's actually a flow to it. And this flow in the book of Matthew comes from five teachings that Jesus does. Look here with me. These five key teaching sections outline the book for us. And here's how we know it. In the, the, in the language that it was written in, he uses this term five different times. When Jesus finished, when Jesus had finished, when Jesus had finished, when Jesus had finished, when Jesus had finished. What he's doing is he's giving us a flow to the book. So, so here's how the book flows. Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 1 through 7. And then he ends it with, and when Jesus had finished, and then you go watch it lived out. Then Jesus instructs his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 about what they're supposed to do as they are sent out. And it ends with Jesus had finished teaching. Then in, in Matthew 13, in verse 53, Jesus finishes the parables of the kingdom and you watch it lived out. In Matthew 19, 1, Jesus finishes the instruction about life in the kingdom and then you watch it lived out. Then in Matthew 26, 1, you find Jesus has finished this discourse on the coming kingdom and it's followed by when Jesus had finished and then you watch it lived out. So these five discourses or these five teachings of Jesus outline the book for us, give us the flow of the book. So although we're not, we're going to go through nine pages of an outline, we can really narrow it down to these five teachings that are going to guide us through the book about living with Jesus as our uh, king. So you see what the king believes, and then you're going to see how he behaves. You're going to see these five key teachings are going to guide how we should think and how we should live through the book of Matthew. What is the key verse then of the book of Matthew? Well, there, there could be a few key verses of the book. I've tried to narrow it down for you. We could use Matthew 1.1 as a key verse, right? Because right from the get-go, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We could go to Matthew 6.33. This is a popular verse. For, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Like we could use that as a key verse. But I really think the last last three verses of the book of Matthew 
encapsulate for us and will help guide our thinking through the whole book of Matthew. And the last three verses of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, are known as the Great Commission. It is Jesus' last words. And we often quote this because our vision is tied into this. But I want to give you a bit of a different perspective on it today as we view Jesus as king. I want you to notice the three times that Jesus uses the term all. Look with me together at it. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You notice the three alls there? All authority, all nations, all teaching. This sounds like a king. I have authority over all of heaven and over all of earth. This is the risen King Jesus saying, I have authority on heaven and on earth. And you, as you read the gospel, you're going to see that Jesus has authority on heaven and in, in the heavens and on the earth. There's no power that is more powerful than Jesus. And we're going to see that throughout the book, that all authority has been given to him. Not only are we going to see this all authority, we're going to see all nations, As the risen king, Jesus is calling all nations to follow his leadership from Israel to China to Russia to the United States to Brazil to Nigeria. He is calling all nations to come under his righteous rule. Only a king does that. Only a king can say, I have all authority and I want you to go make disciples of all nations because I have that kind of authority. And then he says, not only are you going to go to all nations, but you're going to follow all of my teaching. As a risen king, Jesus calls all nations to follow all of his teachings. This king, Jesus, calls for our all, right? He's not looking for part of our lives, for the Sunday morning portion, for the time when it's difficult, so I got to find someone because what my life's doing is not working. No, he's calling for all of your life, the good, the bad, the times things are horrible, the times things are going great. He wants all of your life. Why? Because he's the king and he has all authority in all the nations and we should follow all of his teaching. Matthew is going to cause us to have to make the decision, is Jesus the king of our lives? Does he have all authority in your life? Are you and I making disciples of all nations because his authority is to spread to every people group? And do we follow all of his teaching as the king of our lives? It's going to push us to this end that is Jesus the king of our lives. I like how C.S. Lewis puts it in his book, Mere Christianity. He says it this way, that when it comes to Jesus, you and I have to make the decision. Is Jesus a liar? 
Is he a lunatic or is he Lord? But C.S. Lewis says, don't go on patronizing him with the fact that he's a good teacher. He hasn't left us, he says, that decision. We have to make the decision. Is Jesus a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? And I believe that the math, that Matthew's gospel, as we watch the life of Jesus unfold, is going to push us to this decision. Is Jesus the king of our lives? So how do we make the most of this study? Let me give you six things and then I'll be done. Six ways that we can make the most of this study together. The first thing I would encourage you to do is use the same Bible and translation throughout the study. So I'm going to use this Bible. This is an ESV Bible. It's already starting to fall apart, so I hope it can make it three years or however long it takes for us to go through this. Um, But this will be the Bible that I will use. ESV translation, this Bible, as I study it during the week, this is the, the Bible that I'm going to use. So let me point out to you why I think that is important. So as I'm studying it and I'm learning and I learned, oh, these five teachings, that, that sort of guides the book. So what I did is I went in my Bible and I highlighted every place that I noted there, those different uh, teachings, when it says when Jesus had finished. Here's the reason I did that. When I'm studying it, every time I come to that verse, it's going to be a clue. Why did I highlight that? Oh, yeah, I highlighted it because it's the times that we're supposed to pay attention to because he's finished a teaching and now he's going to show us what this teaching looks like. And so if I'm using different Bibles, then what it's going to do is I'm not going to be able to have the full depth of the highlights and the underlines that I'm learning. So I do encourage you, use the same Bible, the same translation. I understand we're in a digital age as well and my sons and kids use their version app. And so if you use that, here's the thing. If you use your phone or your iPad to do it, use the same translation. Why? As you're highlighting things, as you know you can do in those, as you're highlighting it, then when you're going back and we're studying through it, you'll see those highlights and remember why. Because I, I have a tendency in my version app to go from the CSB to the ESV to all these different translations. So when I open it up, I'll have highlighted things in different translations be like, I don't really know why I did that in that translation. So staying in the same translation will help you. So here's the deal. If you don't have a Bible, one, we got one for you. I'd love to give it to you. Come see me after. Afterwards, we can give you a hardback Bible that we have that would be great for this study. If not, go buy one, right? Or download one on your phone as a means to follow along. Second, read the portion of scripture before you come to the service. So we send out a weekly, and we call it the weekly, where we send it out and it just is an update. And usually in that update, I will put the portion of scripture that we're gonna study together. So here's what I challenge you to do. Every Sunday before you come on Saturday night, read the section of scripture. Just sit down and take a minute. So next Sunday, we're going to go from Matthew 1 to Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 17. So read the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham, from David, all right? Read through those. Now, you're going to read a lot of names that you don't know, and I don't know, but we'll study it next Sunday together, and we'll learn about why all those names matter in the genealogies, in the genealogy of Jesus. But read it before you come. Prepare your heart. Here's the deal. If you are married, or you have a family, I want to challenge you to make a decision to be at worship on a Saturday night, not on Sunday morning. Here's how you do that. Get your family together and read this section of scripture together before you come. 
I think that's a great way to prepare your heart for Sunday, right? Because this is not a thing that we just roll out of bed. And if you have this morning, you're here. I'm so glad you're here. But I think there's so much more to gathering with God's people and that is coming prepared. And so take time, read it and pray and get your heart ready so that when you show up here on Sunday, you're ready to worship God through song. You're ready to worship God through the word. So read the portion of scripture before you come. Second, take notes or third, take notes from each message in the same place. So I take notes on my phone. If you ever see me when I'm sitting out listening to Bob or Todd or whoever's speaking, I'm gonna have my phone out with my Bible and I take notes in Google Notes app. So I have notes from all of our Psalm series in the Google Notes app. So however it works for you, take notes each week. Now, now let me give you this disclaimer. When I sit by Bob and Todd, and if you ever watch them take notes, they're ferocious note takers. Like I really don't know how they can focus and do all the writing that they do because they'll, they'll come with pages of notes and I'm looking at my phone and I have like five statements, you know, it's like sort of hide it in my pocket. Don't want Bob and, and Todd to see that I don't take good notes. But, but here's the point. I may, you may not be a Bob and Todd where you've got pages and pages of notes after a message, but you can be like me. And you can take maybe five things from each message and say, these are things that I want to remember about this section of scripture. And here's why this is important. I want you to see the end game for us. Let's say it takes us 90 messages to get through this book, right? The 28 chapters, if it takes us just two messages a chapter, that would be... 60, pretty close to 60, but you got to think of like the Sermon on the Mount. You've got like 20 sermons in chapter five, 20, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot going on, but let's just say 90. If you took five sentences from every sermon at the end of that time, you would have 450 sentences about the book of Matthew. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think you would have a better grasp of the book of Matthew at the end of that? Well, sure, right? Like you go to, I go to class and I take notes and I have pages of notes because I've listened to lecture after lecture. At the end of the, the class, it's like, wow, like I really do know what teaching methods is, right? Like why? Because I'm learning, I'm taking notes, I'm learning about what's going on. You, you would have 90 pages of notes about the book of Matthew. And it's not just to say I have 90 pages of notes, but I think if you do that, Imagine how much your love for God, for his word, and for Jesus will grow. So I'd encourage you, take notes from each message in the same place so you don't lose them. Then number four, use Antioch group sermon notes. If you don't know this, every message we put together a guide for the sermon, uh, the sermons, and it's uh, for Antioch groups, but you can use it in your individual studies. It has questions, it has verses to read. It, some of it will go more in depth. Sometimes they're just questions to deepen your relationship with God from the text. So use those. They're out on our website under the sermon page. You click on the sermon, it'll be right there at the top with the current message memorize the theme. What is the theme? Jesus is king. Look, you already got that. You guys are so good. And the key verses, 
all right? I think it's important to memorize God's word. So this is a way for us to just have it in our mind. And then as we're studying it through, oh, all this is him showing all authority. This is what he means by all nations. This is all teachings, right? So when we're studying the, dip, the five different teaching sections and he says we should observe all of his teachings, we're gonna be reminded of the key verse. And then last, and this is, I think, probably the most important, pray for God to open your heart to his word. What if we prayed? We, we have seven, 800 people that gather here on a Sunday morning. What if we all together said, listen, we're gonna pray. Just once, maybe at the Saturday night when we read it, God, open our hearts to your word. Could you imagine what God will do in our hearts if we pray and say, open our hearts to your word? Let's do this together. Father, thank you for inspiring Matthew to write an account of your life that 2,000 years later we could study to know you better and to follow you better. So my prayer, Lord, is that you would give our church family such a desire for your word that it would just grow through this study. I pray like you would put a drop of honey on your tongue and it would it would consume your mouth and give you a desire for more honey. I pray that as we study your word and every week as we put a drop of the book of Matthew on our tongue, that it would grow our desire for you, our desire for your word, so that we can honor and glorify you through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.